Welcome to the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast. My name is Harold Nickel. Who should we trust? When it comes to our family's health and our own, this is the most important question anyone can ask. In the age of a global pandemic, it may be the only question worth asking. So, this week, Dr. Stephen Goldstein tackles one source of our current collective anxiety, and that is hydroxychloroquine and its use treating the coronavirus COVID-19. And Dr. Goldstein, before we dive too deeply into this controversy, help us understand a couple of things. To start with, what is hydroxychloroquine and what's it typically used for? Well, hydroxychloroquine is a prescription medicine that was initially used to treat and prevent malaria in various parts of the world where malaria is still a threat to the public health. Well, happily, we don't see a a lot of malaria here in the U.S., so what other diseases is it used for? Well, it's prescribed for systemic lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or porphyria cutanea tarda. So there's nothing new about this medicine. It was approved for use in the U.S. back in 1955. Okay, so now we get to the controversy surrounding this this drug, and that is it's used to help treat uh, COVID-19. Now, you mentioned just a second ago all the different conditions the drug was used to treat. And COVID-19 was not, was not one of them. Is it unusual for physicians to find and prescribe different drugs for uses other than those for which they were approved? Yes, this happens routinely. The practice is called off-label prescribing. It is entirely legal and very common. More than one in five outpatient prescriptions written in the U.S. are for off-label therapies, according to WebMD. Every prescription drug marketed in the U.S. carries an individual FDA-approved label. This label is a written report that provides detailed information regarding the approved uses and doses, which are based on the results of clinical studies that the drug maker submitted to the FDA. However, doctors are free to prescribe a drug for any reason they think is medically appropriate. And that is what gets us to the heart of the matter, and that is the off-label prescription of hydroxychloroquine. What's the big deal? Well, indeed. Uh, Early in the pandemic, hydroxychloroquine looked like it could be a promising treatment for COVID-19, but the use of the drug quickly became political. A French study published March 20 suggested that the drug helped people with coronavirus. It is significantly associated with viral load reduction and disappearance in patients with COVID-19. Positive outcomes, it noted, were improved when used in combination with azithromycin, which is an antibiotic. In Michigan, the Henry Ford Health Systems published its hydroxychloroquine study in early July, showing success in the treatment of COVID-19, cutting the mortality rate from 26% among those who did not receive the medicine to 13% among those who did. It was met with skepticism by many in the medical community. Among the critics was Dr. Anthony Fauci, who was the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, who called the study flawed in his testimony in late July at a congressional hearing on the federal government's efforts to control the pandemic. In a lot of cases, this would would just look like dueling experts, but I have a sense there's something much worse than that going on here. Well, that's a pretty good way of putting it. 
Big pharmaceutical companies have used the media, government, academic medicine, and medical journals to suppress information that hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin is effective in the treatment of COVID-19 infection. This is detailed in an article by Dr. Neumann Deutsch titled Hydroxychloroquine, a Morality Tale. Now, there were other places where it looked like something other than science was behind the way this drug was portrayed in, in public. Well, that's right. Peer-reviewed articles were published in the trusted New England Journal of Medicine and The Lancet. These articles were subsequently found to be fraudulent. The news media touted these articles that falsely claimed that there was no evidence that treatment with hydroxychloroquine was effective. The media also attacked the French physician and scientist, Dr. Didier Raoul, who authored papers showing favorable results. Mm. Favorable results. Now, did The Lancet or the New England Journal of Medicine ever retract those articles? Well, yes, they did. Both retracted the articles, but the damage was done. A quick scan of the internet will show that uh, anyone who looks there are places where the original citations remain, and no one can unread the articles after they were published. Boy, that's the truth. And um, what do you think motivated this effort to discount the effectiveness of this of this treatment option? Well, I suspect it was money. Well, disparaging hydroxychloroquine, the media promoted remdesivir, a newly patented drug that is much more expensive than the generic drugs like hydroxychloroquine and antibiotics and zinc are. Okay, but the less expensive drugs you mentioned were made to treat conditions that do not include COVID-19. That's right. And remdesivir was originally formulated as an anti-Ebola drug. That didn't work out. Even before the COVID-19 outbreak, the company's inventor, was testing in on other viral ailments, including other COVID-19-related illnesses. It showed promise, and it is believed to interfere with the virus's ability to replicate, but it is still under evaluation. Okay, so I'm, I'm not hearing a problem here so far. Well, the problem is that the maker will charge $2,300 for a typical treatment for people covered by government health programs and $3,120 for people with private insurance plans. The amount people would pay out of pocket would depend on their insurance coverage, their income, and other factors. This is a textbook example of why the pharmaceutical industry is in such desperate need of reform. This business with these two drugs is just the latest example of a system that is badly broken. Okay, you say this is nothing new. Can you expand on that for us? Yes. Large drug companies pay academic physicians to conduct studies to prove to the FDA that their drugs are safe and effective. This creates a conflict of interest. The authors of any papers describing the new drug want to put the new drug in the best possible light, and they want to downplay any side effects. They also want to show that the drug is superior to any other drug, especially a cheaper generic drug. The current system is so profitable that the drug lobby contributes more money to Congress than do most other lobbies. Okay, so when you hire the scientists to study your medicine, it does create a conflict, or at least the appearance of a conflict of interest. As for lobbying, most would agree that it creates the atmosphere for corruption, but it's it's not against the law, and there's hundreds of lobby groups. How come this one's different? Well, it's different because at its worst, it can potentially put the public health at risk. 
On their best day, the pharmaceutical drug lobby cost the American public a lot of money. Drug company influence has resulted in making it legal to patent an old drug in use before the FDA was created simply by showing it to be safe and effective. A good example is Colchicine, a drug known for hundreds of years to be a safe and effective treatment for gout. In the 18th century, Benjamin Franklin used it. Old drugs are patented not because of any additional merit, but because patent results in a large price increase. Okay, but surely the news media and the trade media are not as easy to influence, or are they? They are. Drug companies spend an enormous amount of money advertising to the public. This is a significant source of revenue to the media. This source of revenue is so important to the media that they will not provide much news that is unfavorable to the large drug companies, but work quickly to, to give the makers of Rendesivir cover against the less expensive hydroxychloroquine. It sounds like the public is badly served in the examples that you gave. How do we fix this? Well, we need reform. Somehow the Congress has to pass reforms that limit the influence of the pharmaceutical industry and its lobby. Now, can you give us some examples of proposed reforms? Yes, and there are lots of them. First, drug companies should not be permitted to obtain patents because of small modifications to already existing patented medication. This is not the spirit of patent protection was meant for. Second, antitrust laws need to be enforced to stop price fixing. An example of the predatory practice of larger drug companies paying off small generic manufacturers in order to eliminate competition. Corporate lobbying should be illegal even if it takes an amendment to the Constitution to achieve it. Drug advertising to the public should not be allowed. It's only allowed in the U.S. and New, in New, in New Zealand. Okay, well, that takes care of the issues with the manufacturers. What about government reform? Well, the FDA is in much need of reform. The FDA is, in ch is charged with making sure drugs are safe and effective. If you think about it, there's no such thing as a drug that's 100% safe or 100% effective. Even aspirin can cause gastritis and intestinal bleeding that in rare instances can cause death. Drugs used to check epilepsy are only about 50% effective. How then does the FDA decide which drugs to approve? After randomized controlled trials are performed, the panel of experts decide which drugs to approve. I think most of us can accept that there are no guarantees, but that the FDA has a pretty good record evaluating drugs, or do they? Well, occasionally, after a year or two, approved drugs are found to have unacceptable side effects. Opioid drugs that were touted as non-addictive are one example. Other drugs with serious side effects are also approved. Infliximab, a known carcinogen, is approved for the treatment of psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis. Additionally, experts on the panel may have financial relationship with drug companies. This is a conflict of interest. Of note, vaccines for COVID-19 are being expedited through the approval process. Does this mean that the vaccine will be less safe or effective? Probably not. So how does the government clean up its act? Well, the FDA should make sure that medications have the proper ingredients at the proper doses and state this on the label. For larger companies, that is all the FDA should do. The tort system would ensure that drug companies test their drugs for safety. Lawsuits would take the place of regulation. 
Now, what about the other drug companies? Does the tort system protect them? Well, smaller companies would have the choice of purchasing insurance to pay for the lawsuits or potential lawsuits, or they could go through the current FDA approval process, whichever is cheaper. The FDA would make sure that adequate insurance was in place before approval was granted. Through their prescribing habits, physicians would determine whether a new drug would be a better alternative to older drugs for a patient. Physicians would also take cost into consideration for their patients. Finally, Dr. Goldstein, with the time we, we have left, how, how can physicians help? Well, let's take the example of hydroxychloroquine. Acting on little information, some states and federal government agencies recommended that hydroxychloroquine should not be used. Some pharmacists refused to fill prescriptions, but that is not their job. In the past, physicians were able to prescribe any FDA-approved drug for their patients. They used their experience, review of the literature, and their colleagues' experience to decide treatment. For example, amitriptyline was originally used for the treatment of depression. Subsequently, it was used off-label for the treatment of migraine headaches. Physicians recognized its benefit, even though there were no randomized controlled trials. In March 2020, if primary care physicians had been free to prescribe hydroxychloroquine, they could have treated COVID-19 patients who presented early in the course of the disease. This may have ameliorated disease and decreased the need for treatment at a hospital or academic medical center. By collecting data from electronic medical records, enough information would likely be gathered to determine if treatment had been effective. So how does reform fit here? Physicians should be free to prescribe drugs off-label without fear of lawsuit or sanctions from state regulatory boards. Full stop, no questions from non-physicians, pharmacists, or government regulators. Well, thank you, Dr. Goldstein, for helping us wrap our heads around um, a really complex set of issues. We didn't have time to discuss the reasons that the original and eventually discredited articles that were at the basis of the bad information on hydroxychloroquine so many people read and took as gospel. But suffice to say that way more people saw and continue to see these even though they were retracted. But like Dr. Goldstein said, the damage was already done not just to the reputation of the journals that published and then retracted those articles, but to the people, doctors, elected officials, and reporters who never saw the retractions or saw them too late. How many of those made a bad decision about the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine? Of course, the answer can never be known, but it's reasonable to think that it was way more than necessary. So agree or disagree? Let us know your opinions about this and other issues in medicine that need reform. As always, thanks for listening. Tell your friends about us. Visit our website, which is HoustonHealthCareInitiative.org, and leave your comments there. Most importantly, tell your friends about us, and be sure to come back next time for another edition of the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast.